Hey, Beth here. Just before you start, this show looks at domestic abuse head on. This particular episode uncovers Roy's experience as she gets back on her feet after a pretty severe burns injury. It's not necessarily gory, but it is a bit heavy at times. So be gentle with yourself, listen with care, and know that support is readily available for any unpleasant feelings that might pop up. Check out our website for a list of people you can speak to if the going gets tough. You're listening to Tinder, a podcast about what happens once women leave abusive relationships. When a woman leaves, when she stores the echoes of her once upon a time relationship, someplace silent and still, someplace out of the mind's eye, she has the space to see herself again, for the first time in a long time, the space to sit in the quiet. In the first episode of Tinder, I was motionless, lying in a hospital bed, waiting for the burns that covered much of my body to heal, if only a little bit. Faces merged and changed, bodies passed by doors with a clear mission. Some place to go, a patient to see, a baby to hold. But two months passed and it was time for me to leave. Alongside my family, I left Perth's heat, an obvious and pronounced kind of warmth and boarded a plane to Melbourne, where I was to live with my children and my family, where I was to live without my husband. The relief was almost instant. See, to be somebody who lives with violence is to be somebody who is perpetually walking on eggshells, unaware of exactly where, how or why explosions occur. There was no one to ignite, no person to fear, no moment of utter panic. It was just stillness, a kind of unmoving that could have been restful, that could have been soothing. But it wasn't just that. I was granted permission to be still. There was also another dimension. I had no other choice. Given the way my bones creeped over my neck and side, it meant I physically wasn't able to move in certain ways that any motion that disobeyed or distorted their architecture across my body caused grievous pain. I was a walking, talking, breathing conundrum of sort, presented with this hopeful newfound agency, having just left my abuser, but still restricted entirely by his doing, a prisoner in my own body. How do I describe this kind of claustrophobia? What does it look like? Who are you today? Hmm. <laughs> I'm a survivor. I don't think I've said that out loud. He think he got me down. Mm-mm. Like I say, Mm-mm. I'm still standing. Sure are. Sure are. You just heard from Ajoya Ayeko, a survivor of domestic abuse who referred to herself as a survivor for the very first time, as well as a woman named Sean Dow, who was interviewed by Nicole C. Mullen, years after her husband poured acid on her as her children watched. To be a person who has survived, who is surviving, is different from being a person who just exists in the world. It carries a kind of heaviness with it, 
a stubbornness, a labor. To be a survivor is to be some kind of a rebel, somebody who cheated death, an assault, a form of injustice, and who persisted and continued to persist. To be a survivor is to be someone who remains, who manages to continue despite the odds. And because of this, life becomes the project, and to just merely exist requires practice and perseverance and work. Work I didn't sign up for. Living in a body I didn't anticipate would be undergoing its own tiresome healing process. When someone has a, a burn injury, a lot of people will be aware that those injuries are very, very painful. You know, literally at an anatomical level, those nerve endings are raw. They're sitting there exposed to the outside world and that causes horrific levels of pain. That's Jeremy Rollins, a specialist plastic surgeon based in Perth, whose subspeciality expertise is in burn care. He's also the president of the Australian New Zealand Burn Association. He describes the complex and deeply multifaceted nature of how burns recovery actually works, as well as the psychosocial dimension associated with the healing. So patients experience pain, they also experience abnormal sensations associated with nerve injuries that is then trying to recover. And so we see people who have got fully healed burn wounds that have had skin grafts, for example, but they are also experiencing quite unpleasant pain. And we have to remember that when you have a burn injury, the whole body becomes involved. The physical pain, as you might imagine, has a significant impact, I think, on the psychological or the psychosocial ability to recover because it has this knock-on effect of making the patient feel that actually is it in my head that I've got these burn wounds that were really, really sore, really, really painful. So your loved ones, your friends, people in society can understand, they can get their head around the fact that you've got a raw wound and you're in pain. And then several weeks or months later, you've got fully healed burn wounds. So they're not wounds anymore. They're, 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 they're skin grafts, they're scars. Yet the people who don't work in burns or don't understand the complexes of burns will look at that patient and go, well, they've not got wounds anymore. How can it still be painful? Why are they still unable to go to school? Why are they unable to go to work? What's their issue? In many ways, what my body was undergoing wasn't unique to me. I was experiencing it twice over. It mirrored my experience emotionally as a survivor of domestic violence. People that have survived burns, as well as those who have survived abuse, and in my case both, don't know how to make sense of a new indistinguishable pain. A kind that isn't the product of a raw wound that once throbbed and glowed red. But the pain isn't just the echo of the original injury. It's a complex pain, and each facet of my pain linked arms with the other. The culmination was intense. There was the pain of not being able to move my hand or my neck, of not being able to seize and turn around quickly, to let my physical instincts do their thing, 
But I wasn't just a lone woman in a room, without duties, without reason to move. I was a young mother with a small army of children. This required motion. My frustration festered like an additional wound in me. I wanted to be able to change a nappy to hold my daughter. I wanted to bath them, to change their clothes, to hold their small hands. I wanted to be able to turn around in the driver's seat of my car and have them kiss me goodbye at the school gates, to give them the opportunity to reach for my cheek, to have them safely leap from their car seats and head into their respective classroom. I wanted to be able to turn, to look at something or someone without my entire body having to turn with me. Uh, it was a calm and quiet time living with Roya and her kids, but it was very depressing for us, especially for the kids when they'd see their mother, you know, after she left hospital. That's my mother talking about witnessing the spirit of my life. Uh, the days were gloomy. Every time I'd see my grandkids, I would be disheartened. But we were happy that we were done from the chapter of abuse, so... Roya was very reclusive after the incident. We all like to imagine our bodies are clever in much the same way our minds are. That our stomachs, our skin, our limbs respond to our needs in reasonable ways. That they just know what they require. If my belly growls, I feed it. If my mouth is dry, I gulp down water until I feel hydrated. If my limbs ache, I soothe them with wrists and sometimes oil or lotion, or even a massage. But for people who have survived interpersonal violence, in its physical sense, we're grappling with many wounds in a body and a mind. We have been taught not to trust. We're told that our intuition is something flawed or faulty. So when my burns gnawed and stung and demanded my attention, I was reminded of something truly horrifying. A question that persisted in my tired mind. Why did I stay in a relationship that could have killed me? How am I responsible for this pain? It is the question that I'm asked the most. Why did I stay? Why does any woman stay? And for the life of me, I can't understand why people are obsessed with it. Because to me, it's so obvious. Why does anybody stay with somebody that they love? You know, we've all been in relationships that, even if they weren't abusive, we're not working any longer. And we all stay far longer than we want. And it's, you stay for the same reasons. You stay because you love the person or you love what you used to have or you're trying to take care of your children. That's a recording of Leslie Morgan Steiner, an American feminist author and advocate for women's rights. Speaking on a market media program, Private Violence Presents, why we stayed. If the phrase why we stayed, or rather why I stayed sounds familiar, it is because it may be. It emerged as a hashtag off the back of a violent video of former American football player running back Ray Rice, knocking out Janae Palmer, his fiance, in 2014, as the two of them stood in a casino elevator before then dragging her limp body out as if she was a large plush doll or something just as lifeless. Writer and activist Beverly Godin, frustrated immensely by the way Janae was condemned for not leaving or criticizing her partner, started the hashtag Why I Stayed movement. 
The movement was designed to center the voices of survivors, who confidently revealed all of the multifaceted reasons why they persisted and endured incredibly dangerous relationships. In this country, we commemorate fallen soldiers, patriotically holding days of remembrance for them. We know the image well of a young, hopeful man donned in uniform, proudly entering treacherous war-torn spaces, sacrificing their lives and future for their homeland. For us, the respect we harbor for servicemen and women feeds into Australian image of what it means to be kin, a family. Perhaps this country is a family, a close-knit one, enmeshed by blood and hope. But for every soldier, there's a woman holding forth, tenacious and frightened, but determined to keep the beast at bay. A woman who dares not to complain for the sake of her family, her dignity, her God, her livelihood, her pets, her future, her love. A woman who makes do in the suburban trenches. There's a tyranny in homes all around Australia. A woman is killed on average once a week in this country. That's followed by an eerie silence. Our lives aren't marked by vigils, candlelit, remembrance, pride. This isn't to say that those who experience domestic assaults are worthy in a way soldiers aren't. In fact, much the opposite. If we hold flags for some, why not for others? Why not extend our social compassion a little further for those of us living through our own terrifying wars? I tried to leave the house once, after an abusive episode. He slept in front of the door that entire night. Hashtag why I stayed. I stayed because my pastor told me that God hates divorce. It didn't cross my mind that God might hate abuse too. Hashtag why I stayed. My mom had three young kids, a mortgage and a part-time job. My dad had a full-time paycheck, our church behind him and bigger fists. Hashtag why I stayed. Hashtag why I stayed. Because after being stuck in an abusive relationship for a while, I started to believe I deserved all of it. Because I no longer knew who I was. Hashtag why I stayed. When Beverly Gooden answered the question, hashtag why I stayed, women around the world followed suit. These are just a small handful of their responses. Writer Jess Zimmerman once wrote in an essay on emotional trauma that the pain of a wound is separate from the wound itself. Like everything you think you experience, pain must first be mediated by the brain. So in the same way that you see not objects, but light bouncing off objects, you feel not the injury, but the nervous system's reaction. As seasons pass and the nerve that throbbed and stung were able to slowly let their pain subside a little, I was beginning to feel divorced from not only the man who did this, but the woman who demanded this too. I was not my pain, and the proof of it I wear to this day on my neck, arm, chest, is not the injury itself, but my body's reaction to it. Where he set out to destroy parts of me, my body somehow set out to regenerate those same parts. Rather than feeling crushed by the body that couldn't or wouldn't, I started to feel motivated by all that it could do, by all that it did do. If you've ever experienced a gush or a deep wound or a hard hit, you will know the feeling of a heartbeat nestled in the injury. 
a gentle thudding that throbs when you clutch a hold of a heart. Life on life. The more my nerves reminded me of their existence, the more I was reminded of my own. My own glorious capacity to live, despite his attempt to quash the very life I cherish so much. And like that, something small but miraculous took place. In an early school morning with a car full of animated children, I sat poised and ready in the driver's seat. Slowly I turned my head enough, just enough so I could reverse the car into the car spot, so I could check behind to see that I wasn't hitting anything, so that my children could safely leave the vehicle. After additional surgery on my neck, it no longer contracted the way it once did. In many ways, I was able to, for the first time, look behind me without the affliction of the past punishing me for it. I could carefully notice risks and perils and danger and still behind the wheel of a car know that I had the capacity to move forward. To move through a world I wasn't yet familiar with, a country not tainted with his scrutiny and violence, but instead a place imbued with promise excitement, a country I was ready to experience for the first time. Once the kids were ready and their small feet hit the ground, I waved goodbye and continued on. They were at school and I was alive. The engine resounded and I drove. The quietness of the suburbs, the echo of peace. Hashtag why I stayed. I thought I could change him. Hashtag why I left. He was the one changing me. Hashtag why I stayed. I thought I was ruined and no one would ever love me again. Hashtag why I left. It wasn't love to begin with. There is no right or wrong way to be a survivor of domestic violence. Hashtag why I left. Hashtag why I stayed. I was made to believe that I didn't have a choice. Hashtag why I left. I wanted to live. Hashtag why I stayed. I was terrified. I was broken. Hashtag why I left. I missed the woman I was. Feet in the sand. Dog asleep next to me. Water lapping lazily. Ocean breeze in my hair. I am happy. I am at peace. This is hashtag why I left. I want to thank my mother for the contribution in this episode, as well as Jeremy Rollins for his participation. This season is supported by Victorian government through Creative Victoria and UNESCO Melbourne City of Literature, and is kindly sponsored by the Victorians Women's Trust. An advocate for violence prevention, fair wages for equal work, and the equal representation of women, men and gender diverse people in decision-making process that shapes our lives. You're listening to Tinder, a Broadway production about what happens once women leave abusive relationships. This season is created by Madison Griffiths, Bit Atkinson Quinton, and me, Roya Atmar. Until next time.
Broadwave. Broadwave? Broadwave. 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 Broadwave.